This morning, um, tomorrow is Memorial Day. Memorial Day is, is a day that we celebrate here in our country for all those in the military. And I don't think, I know, not just the military, but the police, our police force, who happen to be the overwhelming majority faithful and, and uh, God-appointed protectors of us you know, in our, in our country within and our military that keep us safe within also and without. And it's a celebration of those that have given their lives and those that are still alive that did and those that are still doing it, Memorial Day. And we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, this morning. So I'm just going to read some scriptures here, and, and we'll see how they correlate, how God just so beautifully, through the power of the Holy Spirit, brings out the reality of truly what we have in Christ. Even the fact that we as a country can celebrate our freedom with those that have given their lives and those that still do, it would never have even been if it hadn't been for Christ and for what he's accomplished. So in 1 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, then I'm going to read in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, and then we're going to go to Exodus, the 12th chapter. I'm just going to read two verses here in 1 Corinthians, the 5th chapter. I'm not going to go into what was going on at that particular time, but I, would, I just want to focus as God, and when I say I, it's... <laughs> God is causing all of us together to focus on the verses that he has for us, the word, this morning. So 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, it says this, Purge out, therefore, the old leaven. We know leaven is, is sin, and we also know that in Romans 8, 9, we have the flesh in us where that leaven can be, still be exposed. Uh, but we're not of it. Thank God we're of Christ. And that's why we can even purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. Each individual that makes up a local assembly that makes up the whole body of Christ. As you are unleavened. What a beautiful thought that is. Because we are unleavened. Because we have been purified by Christ. We have been counted by God the Holy Spirit to be faithful in Ephesians 1.1. That's, that's not talking about how we actually behave. That's talking about our position in Christ. We're counted faithful because we believed what God said about his son, and in doing so, we were placed in him positionally. Now this is experientially purging out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. We're unleavened. That's a beautiful, perfect, pure image. For even Christ, our Passover, our Passover, notice what it says there. He's our Passover, is slain for us, was sacrificed for us. We're going to see also, too, when it says in Revelations 5 and verse 6, and when you see those first five verses, when none could open the book, there wasn't a human being, there wasn't an angel that could open those books. And then, of course, the apostle and those began to weep. And he was told not to weep because there's a lion of the tribe of Judah, Christ, who is, when they looked at him and he appeared, it was just as if he had been freshly slain, literally. Our view of him and our fellowship with him for all eternity 
again, based upon Revelations 2 and verse 17, he will always be that freshly slain lamb for you and I, which gives us this freshly, beautiful, constantly uh, perfect and pure image in this exchange of fellowship for all eternity. And that's why he, we can purge it out so that can be our present reality because we do have eternal life in us right now in 1 John 5.11. So verse 8 says, Therefore keep the feast. We're going to see the feast and how it's brought out, how Jesus was teaching about it himself in Matthew the 26th chapter how that Paul, through the Holy Spirit, brought it out in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, and how all that type in its most beautiful expression was brought out in Exodus, the 12th chapter. Remember, so many times we've said, we have these things in 1 Corinthians, chapter 10, and verse 6, and verse 11. They are our figures and our types. They give us a full explanation of every single thing that you and I have in Christ. And it's really, really incredible. Because of that, therefore, because we are unleavened, let us keep, treasure, and guard the, fe the feast. And we're going to see what kind of feast that was. Not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice. Malice here... In the Greek is kakia, K-A-K-I-A, kakia. And this is what it means, it's badness. It's a depravity of the old sin nature that's been crucified in Romans 6, 1 through 6. And it's that flesh that's in us which the old man still wants to come up when he's already crucified. Depravity. And it can be active or it can be passive. We can live in the passivity of it or the activity of it. But nevertheless, it's still malice, it's still evil. Or, so, it's depravity and badness in, in the action of it, but it's passive in terms of always being troubled. Because we don't have trouble in who we are in Christ. It's only in the flesh. And of course, it's not who we are, but it's only when we doubt in Romans 14, verse 23. So badness is, is what? Badness in what? In quality. It's an evil mindset. We're not to keep who we truly are in Christ with an evil mindset. Can't be kept. And it works itself out. This evil mindset works itself out in malignity actively, infectiously. That's why it says in Ephesians 5, verse 16, um, in a beautiful way, that the days that we're living in you know, the days, that, that the evil times, the particular uh, time that we're living in is not just kakos, intrinsic evil. It's, it's paneros. It's evil in active opposition to God's divine good. And we're to redeem the time by purging out the old. That's what it speaks of there. So here, again, actively, we can see it. It's malice, the shrewd and deceitful calculation of doing harm or ill will or a desire to injure others. Whew, that's the flesh. Thank God that's in us, but that's not who we are and it's not of us. And so we can see that clearly in, in the scriptures. Now, again, Christ, he's, he presents God to us. Notice what it says, even in here. 
what it says in these scriptures, that Christ presents to us what? He presents God to us. That's why the disciples, and they said in John 14, 8, show us the Father. He said in 14, verse 9, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. And so he presents God to us under three aspects. We're going to see how that's brought out in the types. His righteousness that strikes the substitute. It had to be the perfect justice and integrity and righteousness and holiness that struck Jesus Christ on Calvary. We didn't have to take the stroke. He did. That's the first thing it points out. The second thing is it's his love that provide and did provide and still does the lamb for us. The evidence is then that God is always what? In Romans 8, 31 and Psalm 56, verse 9, he is what? He is for us, never against us, never. That's the second thing. The third thing is, is that his glory has raised him up. And the reason that he did and this is very clear in Acts 17, verse 31, and of course in the uh, 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, when it speaks of the resurrection, okay, it was his glory, the glory of God that raised him up and all of us in him because he cleared everything about us to his Father and for us. We're going to see what these things mean in a very clear way this morning. And so, what does that give us? Here's the facts this morning, that there is absolute, complete, entire deliverance for us. We are in Christ before God. Think about that. Do we lose view of that? Do we lose sight of that? And what would be the cause of it? We are in Christ before God. Because the greatest expression of God's divine love was what? What was that? His greatest expression of divine love and hatred of sin was what? It was Christ on Calvary. Christ on Calvary. When all of Satan and all of man under his influence would finally think that they could do away with the expression of God in Christ became the very manifestation and love for even those that would do that. And in some measure... We all had a part in that because all of our sins, those that would receive him, all of our sins were on him as he became not sin, but the sacrifice for sin in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. And we're going to see what that means. So what do we see? What do we see? We see the stroke of judgment that fell on him. We see that. That that's done away with all that malice, that wickedness, that depravity that is not ashamed to break laws and to be evil and cause trouble and be wicked. And God forbid that we should anymore live in that poneria, that depravity, that malice, that plots and plans sins and iniquity against him. Because poneria is the active exercise of a vicious disposition. It's a naughtiness, as brought out in Romans 1, verse 29, and James 1, 21. It's maliciousness. And we've been delivered from all of that. And that's what, what's been done with us. Now, in 1 Corinthians, 
the 11th chapter. We're going to see, we'll see very clearly here in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, what explains what we're going to speak about in Exodus, the 12th chapter. This is 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. Verse 23, Paul is speaking, but he has in mind what Jesus did in Matthew 26, 26. We see it again in Luke 22 and verse 19. And this is what it says. For I have received of the Lord. Do you see that? That's passive. That's receiving something we don't deserve, grace. The stroke went on Christ. We just read that. The stroke of the hatred of sin and the very love and justice of God that hates sin but yet loves the sinner, that stroke went on him. That's the mercy of God. Not giving us what we deserve to get was, was what? Was added to him and subtracted from us so that we, in turn, could receive grace and be saved by grace have added to us something we absolutely never could deserve or or merit, but simply receive it. So Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 23, for I have received of the Lord. And you can see what he received and when he did in Acts the ninth chapter in those first 10 or 11 verses. I've received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. You want to know what was on his mind? Here he is, knowing he's betrayed, knowing it. He's going to be betrayed and given over. And beaten in a way that we can't even imagine in Isaiah 50, verse 6, and Isaiah 52 and verse 14 is brought out in Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. The slaughter that he went through previous to the cross and the six different trials that he went through over a long period of time, even prior to the cross. I mean, even prior to the beatings, the suffering that he experienced in the garden with the oppression of the enemy and the satanic forces coming against him to the point where in Luke twenty-two forty-four he sweat, great drops of blood was coming out of his pores but he set his face like a flint to the cross because he had something to do there to satisfy his father, to propitiate his father, and thus thus in doing so become the reconciliation and the substitute whereby we could be reconciled to him. And so in that same night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, boy, if we could only learn that in the midst of the greatest times, we can still give thanks because of him. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. A picture of his body on Calvary being broken. And said, take. Take. You have to receive it. Take. And then eat. And then in doing so, I'll sup with you and you with me. And this is my body which is broken for you. This do, this do for a remembrance of me. For a remembrance of me. What is Memorial Day? It's a day for what? Remembering. Remembering. Those that died for us and those that continue to live for us. Who greater than Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? 
And I don't know about the Statue of Liberty, but I do know one thing. Our Statue of Liberty is the cross of Jesus Christ. There's no question about that for each of us. This do as a remembrance of me. Think of me, he says, and you, can be, you will be thankful. I will be the cause of your thankfulness. After the same manner also we took the cup. When he had supped, when he had supped, and given his life in fellowship for those individuals, for you and I, as he still does to this day, saying this is the cup of the New Testament. It's a new covenant. I want you to drink. The old is done away. All that that pointed to the old leaven, all that that brought out that leaven and that malice in Christ has been done away. It's a new covenant. It's based upon my blood. And do that as a memorial remembrance of me. And for as often as you eat this bread, as often as you eat the bread, Matthew 4, 4, Luke 4, 4, Deuteronomy 8, 3, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's what we're to partake of. Him is the word in John 1, 1. And for often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death and what it meant to you as far as his death and how he lives for you. And he ever lives in Hebrews 7.25. He ever lives to make intercession for us. In Hebrews 7.25 and in Hebrews 9 verse 24, beautifully brought out in the, the scriptures of that where there's no condemnation, he's absolutely for us. No condemnation in Romans 8.1. Absolutely for us without a shadow of a doubt in 8.31. And as a result of 34, he's ever living right now who died for us interceding for us because he so deeply desires to fellowship with us right now in time as we feast on him and keep in mind and keep him as our, remor our memorial remembrance for him and the freedom that we have, the freedom that we had once who were prisoners of sin and now prisoners of the Lord in Ephesians 3, 1 and Ephesians 4, verse 1. We are known, we are known in Zechariah 9, verse 11, prisoners that were held that couldn't get out. But now in verse 12 of Zechariah 9, we're prisoners of hope. And in Romans 5, 5, hope makes not ashamed. There's no ashamed in the hope that we have in him. Because his love was so poured out without measure on Calvary and still does it to this day as a living Christ. For as often as you, you eat, as often as you fellowship around this word and drink the reality of this new covenant, you do show me, me, myself, the Lord, till I come. And this is what is brought out in Exodus the 12th chapter, and I'm going to read those verses. Exodus 12 and verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. Where? The land of bondage. But he's speaking to them. This speaks of the fact that Jesus, our Passover, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, he was in the world in his humanity. Listen, he was in this world. Everything about it. He was in it, but it, he was never of it. Ever. Not one thing about it. Not one thing about him in any confession, in any communication of him, had nothing to do with this world. In John 17 and verse 14. 
and you and I in him have nothing to do with this world in John 17, verse 16, because God in Exodus 11, 7 and 1 Kings 18, verse 21, puts a difference between Israel, God's chosen ones, set apart for sacred use, and those, what? Egypt, those that are functioning still in the world. God forbid that we as those that are in him should still function Egypt in the world in malice and leaven and hatred in the flesh of him. In Romans 8, 7, the flesh is enmity against God. It's strong, settled feelings of unchangeable hatred towards him. God forbid we should ever live in that towards him or towards one another. Well, and the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, this month, this month, and we had the time, and maybe throughout the week coming, we will get into the details of this because there's so much in here, it's, it's, it's impossible to do it in the time that, that we would have. This month will be unto you the beginning of months. We have a new beginning in him. It's a new covenant. It's a new testament. It's a new covenant. And we're, because we have new life, we're to be those new witnesses and testimonies of the new life that we have and allow him to possess our vessel and manifest the treasure that's in it. And never that weak, frail vessel ever separated from the treasure in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, because this is the beginning of months, and it will be the first month of the year to you. We have that in us now in Christ. Speak you unto all the congregation of Israel, saying in the tenth day, and these things are so incredible in the types, in the tenth day. Why does he say, speak to them, in the tenth day. Remember when Israel said to him, when they were in the wilderness, they said in Exodus 19 and verse 8, in Exodus 24 and verse 3, they said to God, tell us what to do and we'll do it. He gave them those ten Hebrew words, those ten Hebrew letters, man responsible before God on his own with a set of laws in Exodus 23 to 17, there were 10 Hebrew words. Yeah. Who could ever keep that? Whoever did but him. In Matthew 5, 17 and 18, whoever did but him. Christ, in Romans 10, verse 4, is the end of the law. Not that he, it was, he bypassed it. He had to fulfill that and then some. But he's the end of the law for righteousness to them that what? Believe it, receive it function in it and experience it. And so this is the saying in the 10th day of this month, this month you will take to them every man a lamb. You notice in some translations it says a kid. Jesus Christ was cut off in the prime of his life. He was 33 and a half years old. He spent 30 he spent three and a half years of a public ministry. For 30 years, he dwelt just like us. That's what John 1 verse 14 is saying. The word of God was made flesh and dwelt among us. Everyday things that we do sit in secrecy, but still lovingly responsible and accountable to God in the most menial tasks behind the scenes before the eye of God who sees every single thing, sees it all. In Jeremiah 23, in verse 24, he sees it all. He sees every single bit of it. 
Even the secret sins in Psalm 90 verse 8 are before his eye because he never removes his eye from the righteous in Job 36 verse 7. But he never sees us in sin. He'll deal with us when we live in it, but the dealing has to do with the fact that his eye is never removed from us and who we are in Christ. In in 1 Corinthians 1.30, of him are you that God has made you and I in him who's made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption as according as it is written, he that glories. Let him glory in the Lord in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Let him glory in that. And let the cross come in and separate the world from him that would cause him to be alive and in and glory and crucify the old in Galatians 6 and verse 14. Speak unto them, take a lamb according to the house. He was cut off, a young lamb in its prime without blemish, according to a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls Every man, according to his eating, his capacity, you can have as much of him as you want. Seriously, as much as you want of him, as much of the word, the expression of who he is, you can have it. As much as you want, you you may have it. Every man, according to his eating, will make your count for the lamb. Your lamb will be without blemish, a male of the first year. You will take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you will keep it until the 14th day. We're going to see what these things mean. Maybe we won't get to them today, but they are loaded with truth. The 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel will kill it in the evening. And what it's saying is between the two evenings. Something's going to happen between those two dark periods. And that was the cross. Remember how dark it was? How they said it? In Matthew, uh, the 27th chapter, how dark it was because of the justice of God that was being poured out on him and the hatred of sin. And he became the sin sacrifice. Remember, he never became sin. He became the sin sacrifice, the pure Lamb of God without spot or blemish. Our sins were put upon him. But, of course, he dealt with the whole sin question before it was ever even personal sins in propitiation. And that's what John the Baptist, why he cried out, Behold the Lamb of God in John 1 verse 29, fulfilling what even he would function in in Isaiah the 40th chapter in the third verse. But this is what we're to see today. In verse 7, And they will take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorposts of the house wherein they will eat it. Notice what that says? They're to eat it. This is bringing out what we call doing what? What do we do now? We have communion. That communion speaks of what? Fellowship. Because there was a death and a new life given. In John 12, verse 24, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, that's Christ. It'll abide alone. But if it die, it'll bring forth much fruit. That's you and I in him. That is you and I in him. And they will, they will eat it. And they will eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire, which speaks of the intense 
holiness and purity and justice of God, consuming him as the sacrifice because all of our sins were upon him. He was dealing with the whole sin question whether anybody received him or not. But the fact that he did that first in propitiation, he could be the substitute and all those that would believe would receive him and thus be reconciled. See, God never had to be reconciled. He needed to be propitiated. His love and his justice would can't be separated, and that will do away with the foolishness of universalism and the annihilationist. Only they understood the meaning of death, which never is extinction, it's always separation, and only that ever in all the word of God. They will roast with fire, and with what kind of bread? We're to keep the Passover. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 8, with what? unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. What does the bitter herb speak of? We used to hear this a certain way. And the, the way that we need to hear it now is even when we partake of it, when we fail, in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, what does it say? And I want to read that to us and, and allow God to, to bring that out, of course, like only God the Holy Spirit can do for all of us. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, look at what it says. And this is a beautiful truth that we all have in Christ. And this is what the bitter herbs speak of. And this is where we know the details and preciseness of the Word of God. And we have a precise, intimate, detailed communion with Him constantly to have it in remembrance. And if we don't have these things, do we keep it in remembrance? No, we're to keep a memorial feast. And we'll see that. In 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9, and this is the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul as a vessel. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul as a vessel. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrow to repentance. This is the bitter herbs that we're talking about and bringing out in Exodus, the 12th chapter. But that you sorrow to repentance, for you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive, what? That you might receive damage by us in what? Nothing, because it's been dealt with. Boy, bitter herbs without condemnation, without accusation, without guilt, Bitter herbs, right? He says this. Now, he said this. For godly sorrow, what? Works what? A change of mind to salvation. That's just not the day that we receive Christ and get, did get saved, although, of course, first and foremost, foundationally, yes. But now as we receive the word, when we, and, and this is where we got into during the week and admonished, and, and, and again, if you're not able to hear these messages on a Wednesday night that we do continually, or on these weekdays, they will always be, thank God, on the website for all of us to hear, and we can hear it and take it as much of it as we desire. As much of it as we desire. For godly sorrow works or works out in us a change of mind to, for a constant deliverance that is never to be regretted. If you see repented in your translation, cross it out. It is literally never regretted, never to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world works what? Separation from God. 
in a godly sorrow that leaves us with no object. And it can leave the Christian, if they don't know these things, experientially without an object. So they were to eat these bitter herbs. Will they eat it? In verse 9, eat it, eat none of it raw. No, it's to be fully consumed. What we partake of, God fully consumed as the lamb. I mean every single thing. He didn't leave a single thing undone. The simplest things that we think may be like so the foolishness of white lies or maybe just a little sin. No, he not, not one of them was ever passed over about you and I. Not one single thing, not a thought. Because in Proverbs 24 and verse 9, the thought of foolishness is sin. The thought of it is sin. Never mind the doing. Read Matthew 5, 22 to 28, up to 29, and you will see it's the thoughts, too, that lead to the action, the accomplishment of it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water. You don't water it down, nothing. You don't add anything to it, and you don't take away anything from it. But roast with fire, the fire and holiness of God's justice that consumed him in our stead his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof, and you will let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remains of it until the morning, you will burn it with fire. You will burn it with fire. And thus will you eat, eat it with your loins girded, ready to go forward in what you have in Christ. And this is going on. And what we're going to read from here, thus with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you will eat it in haste. Instant obedience. You hear the word. Instantly obey. obey. Because you and I, and this is bringing it out in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, in verses 10 to 18. We're in the midst of a spiritual warfare. Your loins gird about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with that gospel of peace that's yours experientially based upon your position in Christ. And your staff in your hand. And you will eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt. All through that world system. This night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Both man and beast. Against all the gods. Of Egypt. Who were the gods of Egypt? Who were the princes? Were they just men? No, they were under the they were under Satan in John 12, 31 and 14 40, 1430, I should say. They were all under him. We once were the children of disobedience under the prince and power of the air in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. But thank God, but God was rich in mercy, wherewith he loved us with so great a love that he gave us his son. And he said, I will execute judgment. Thank God there's no judgment for us. The resurrection that we partake of in that new covenant, in that memorial feast that we partake of, is teaching us that constantly. We're to constantly have that in remembrance. When we don't remember that, what do we forget? So much about who he is and his person and the accomplishment of his work, about the eternity of the eternities, and we're left living in time with ourselves as the object, which never could be, and we live subjectively apart from him. But he said, I will execute judgment, and the blood will be upon you for a token upon the house where you are. And when I see the blood, 
doesn't say when you and I. It's never left up to us. Never. It doesn't say when you and I see the blood, then God will do something. He said, I will do it. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. I'll pass over you. And the plague, which is death, which is separation, will not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day, verse 14, today, today, folks, today, those of us that are his, we're not our own. Oh, God, we would be spared of so much trouble. I would be spared of so much trouble if I only remembered the memorial feast of Christ. I am not my own. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, I was bought with a price. And we're to glorify God in our spirit and our soul and our body, which are God's and not our own. Not our own. This day will be unto you for a memorial. And you will keep it a feast to the Lord. You know what that always speaks of? He gave his life for us so that we could feast on him and he could feast with us in communion and fellowship in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and we're to do it together in verse 4. And he's given us the whole provision in that first chapter in those 10 verses of 1 John chapter 1 and goes right into chapter 2. And you will keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations Listen, throughout all your generations, you know what he's saying? Husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, you're to do this, you're to feast on it, you're to express this truth, this life in all your lifestyle. Let your life be teaching, not just you, but your children. All generations, you will keep it a feast. You'll always teach them. You, you will be the Sunday school, Monday through Sunday, you, your life will teach them, not so much what you say, but how you live your life feasting on the lamb will teach, your conduct will teach your children far more than what you say. It'll teach you and I. We can say we love one another. 1 John 3, 18, love not in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. A life with a will that's been submitted to him you will keep at a feast by an ordinance forever. Seven days will you eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you will put away leaven. Listen to this, leaven. Oh God, and this starts with husbands. And it starts with wives, but it starts with husbands. Even the first day you will put away leaven out of your houses. Anything that would cause you to be separated from remembering him, from fellowshipping with him, no matter what it is, no matter what you set your eyes on or I set my eyes on, if it's leaven, you're to put it out of your house. We're his house. It starts here, and then it comes in here. Put it out of your house. For whosoever eats leavened bread partakes of who they are in Christ, the first day until the seventh, okay? Leavened bread, that soul will be cut off because he can't fellowship with sin. Furthermore, he can't even look upon it. And then back at 1 and verse 13. And that's why the experience of so many, so many precious believers, because they do not know the preciseness of who the person of Christ is and what he's accomplished on behalf of God, to God, and for us. But what we see here, we see in these, even in these plagues of Israel, we see it. There was a death of firstborn. What does that mean, the death of firstborn? 
Well, do you remember what it says in the scriptures? Here's what it says. The firstborn. What is that supposed to mean? I'm going to explain it because God's given me the word and he helps explain it to me and it's my help. (laughs) He is my help, by the way. And I experience it when I humble myself and get in a place to receive. And so the firstborn, there was a plague of death in the firstborn. It's It's hit every single human being. Psalm 51 in, in, in uh, verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your tender, compassionate, loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned. Did you hear that? Who do we sin against? When we sin against each other, who? It's God. It affects us, but it's against him. And done this, what? Evil in your sight, that you may be justified when you speak and be clear when you judge. In other words, it's justice. Behold, verse 5, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Firstborn, born in death. Death. Do you see it? Do you see the types? And and I see it with you. And then we can see it again clearly in Psalm 58. In verse 2 it says, Yea, in heart you work wickedness. You weigh the violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they're born, speaking lies, because death is passed upon all judgment. Thank God Christ took that for us. That's our memorial feast. That's what we're to constantly remember. The firstborn, and, 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 but what we see is God's deliverance in you and I by that Passover blood, the Passover blood. And that's why, again, we read 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8. Christ, our Passover, was, past tense, sacrificed for us. Therefore, let you and I, let us together, husbands and wives in the home, above everything, and when we come together above every single thing, let us keep the, fa- the feast constantly. Boy, would that get rid of a lot, wouldn't it? In my life, it would get rid of so much wasted time, so much wasted energy, so much depression, so much trouble. It would get rid of it. And let us keep and guard and treasure that memorial feast and fellowship, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of a life that's in Christ based upon grace and truth. It it is to you and I, it is what? It's the Christian memorial feast. You can talk about Memorial Day, and we can talk about it and keeping it and in the details of this, and we will get into the details of this. And, and I believe so, because I believe God wants us to. Even those numbers there, the number 14, the number 10, the number 4, and they're chock full of meaning and substance, and that we can constantly, that will give us the material, the means, and the motive to keep that, to treasure that memorial feast. And we will get into it in a much better way, in a much deeper way, as I trust God with you. But the Passover lamb, as we close this morning, the Passover lamb figures Christ himself. There's no question about that in, in its type. As that blood that sheltered them, shelters you and I, it's the figures, 
the blood of the cross. The blood of the cross. The blood that was put on those lentils in type in Exodus the 12th chapter in verse 13. What that was and what that was doing in that chapter, what it was doing was what? It was anticipating, that blood was anticipating the judgment upon the people so that when that judgment came, they were untouched by it. Did you know we don't have any judgment? Not a single thing? God doesn't have a single thing against us? Not one single thing. Not a single thing, because his son took care of it. What a memorial feast. What a feast to constantly. Oh, how easy is it. And oh, how we do need the yoke to be yoked up to him, to stay near to him, to keep, because he does the keeping in 1 Peter 1, 5. We're kept by the power of God. And that power in 1 Corinthians 1, 24 is Christ, the power of God. And he gives us the wisdom to keep out the leaven so that we can continue to feast on the unleavened bread in an intimacy with him that nothing can touch. And even the wicked one can't touch us in 1 John 5, 18b in our position. And he can't when we feast and have a memorial feast and a depth of communion and fellowship with him, the enemy cannot even touch the experience which he so desires to go after because he can't touch who you and I are in Christ is our memorial feast. So, Father, just bless this word to our heart and this simplicity. And, Father, I do ask that you would give us the time like only you can do, the precious Holy Spirit who will take only the things of Christ and show them unto us and to get us ready for a face-to-face meeting with you. Father, thank you for these things and these truths this and may we think of this all throughout today, all throughout tonight, all throughout tomorrow. And Memorial Day for us is not a day to just sit around and drink, play games and have fun. It's to think. It's to remember. Why we have do those things in joy properly, Father, and, and enjoy your creation. Because we're yoked up to the Creator, what better way to enjoy it with a memorial feast? In Jesus' name, thank you. Amen.